Welcome to the seventh episode of Libnani with Eli. Ideate, create, develop. These are the three magic words that have guided this week's special guest to soaring heights. Another Lebanese star to be featured in the Forbes Middle East 30 under 30 list alongside our last guest, Rafi Al-Harira. She is the co-founder and chief design and creation officer of The Concept, a startup company that focuses on creating sustainable and innovative solutions in aviation, hospitality, and the medical industry, to list a few. And now, in partnership with Etihad Airways, creating lightweight in-flight economy food trays called Neos Fly. It is my honor to welcome on the show the innovator, the entrepreneur, the talented Maria Sivah. Maria, welcome to the show. Cool. Thank you so much, Eli. I want to get into all of the incredible stuff that you do. But first, as I asked Rafi Al-Harira, how did you get the news that you were listed in the Forbes Middle East 30 under 30 list? Oh, that's a hard one. I think we received an email asking for our photos in order to feature it on it. And so once you get that email, the way that it was worded is like you have been nominated. And so we'd require your photo in order to post about the Forbes 30 under 30. And so I remember between us as a team, we were like, does that mean we, we got awarded? Or does that mean that we, they want our photos in case we get awarded? And so there was such a big confusion and we didn't want to email back and ask because we just didn't want to get embarrassed right. in any way. But it was like, okay, that is pretty huge to be listed as that. And of course, in the moment, because you're in your own shoes and you've also come across so many other people that have worked so hard and you know them personally and their personal journeys and the impact they've done, to be listed as one of those top 30 spots, it's a bit incredible because it's a privilege. It's an honor for sure. And I definitely believe I would not be here without the people around me, especially in the startup community, especially from my home country, my parents. So whilst it is an achievement under our company and our personal names, it goes way beyond that because it doesn't just carry my achievements. It's really more of like, okay, I would not have been here without everyone around me that has helped me. So I really owe it to the community. Teamwork, collaboration, and also to recognize your value in the fact that you are representing the Lebanese community as well, which is really incredible. And it's really nice to see that there are examples like yourself who really put us in a positive image to the world. I want to get into this concept, which is the concept. (laughs) Now, I know that you co-founded this startup solutions company and you were in your senior year of university. You won this competition that was backed by Emirates Airline, but I'll let you explain how this concept started and your role in this company. Sure. So being in senior year of university, especially being based in Dubai and the UAE, the university life is super competitive because there's always competitions going around and, you know, you need to submit your final projects. If you win, you get a prize. And so me and my three co-founders, we were in separate universities at the time, but we knew each other through mutual friends. But we all had this competitiveness within us because it was our final year, because 
our final year is consisting of a thesis project, which basically you have to give it your all and submit it and you get judged by the judges by the university. So there's this whole competitive vibe. And so this competition came up and the first place prize would be 50,000 dirhams, which is around 15,000 US dollars. Right, and so as kids at that time, we were like, okay, I can design, my friend can do business, and the other one, he studied engineering. So we're like, let's just put that stuff together and let's come up with an innovative product in order to suit the competition and hopefully win. Because if we win, we get to split that cash and go on a senior trip or just do something fun. And so that was initially our mindset and it was nowhere near a startup or continuous impact with what we've achieved. And so eventually, thank God that we won it. And so when we actually received the prize and the money, we we're like, okay, this is a lot of money. Emirates Airline has traction from us. And so we can probably do something with this right now. And we were very blessed at that time because we were just in our last year, halfway through. And so a lot of people we've been hearing from our friends, they struggled to find full-time jobs right after. And so we were like, you know what, let's just turn this into a company and let's actually produce the product that we've innovated and basically start supplying to airlines. And so we set up first the startup called The Conceptualizers, but we received a lot of feedback from people that that was way too long to put in an email address. <laughs> we shortened it to the concept and it worked out perfectly. And the URL was available. The trade license name was available. So it was all green light. When I listen to your story, it gives that element of hope that with teamwork and the motivation to actually participate in competitions that are available, it can actually take you to a really great place. So what would you say, I guess, to students who feel demotivated, who are perhaps looking for work at the moment? I would definitely say that they're not alone. Sometimes I still feel like that, even though I'm within the hustle and the buzzle, it still feels like that once I go home and everything's turned off and I'm like, wait, what am I actually doing? Am I going to do this forever? How can I continue to fill up my time with impactful things? But I used to be there throughout university years as well. And all I can say is surround yourself with people that first of all, that are not lazy. I, I know this may sound a bit harsh, but you have the freedom to pick. And so if you have the freedom to pick and choose the people around you, then put that to your advantage and surround yourself with people that are looking towards the same goals or, as you. It may not be in the same industry at all. And that's where me and my co-founders were in completely different industries, but we still were able to come together. Mm. And as a bigger, bigger advice is do not lose your little hobbies and passions that you've had throughout school and university. A lot of people lose that. And so once they get into the corporate world and they just lose that time management aspect in order to make time for themselves and what really fuels them. And that is something that I kept hitting throughout my journey is this huge roadblock of inspiration and no motivation and laziness. But honestly, it's fueled by yourself. No one's going to come in and tell you, hey, stop being lazy, motivate yourself with your own passions. It doesn't work like that. So I would truly say use your university years to develop really unique skill sets. And I know this sounds ironic, but you actually have a lot more spare time in university rather than in your work life. And even though you feel swarmed in university, and I remember I used to feel like, oh my gosh, I can't wait to finish university because I can just go to work and do whatever I want later on. Yeah. It's just not. You actually have a lot more free time in university days. And so that's a lot better time to kind of expand your skill sets for sure. I always had this dream of starting a podcast show like this when I was at university. Mm -hmm. But I would always say, you know what, I'm going to do it once I finish university because then I'll have more time. 
And boy, was I wrong. I got a full-time position now and, you know, juggling everything at the same time. But as you said, I think it's a really great message that people should take advantage of the spare time that they have. And university is really one of the best times to develop and hone your skills. Now, I know that you have a design background. How were you able to implement that into the concept? This is a good question. So I studied interior design, which has almost nothing to do with what I'm doing now. But I remember at the time when the competition was there, I just had an eye for design. I had developed my own skill sets. I developed 3D modeling skill sets in Photoshop and Illustrator, even in softwares that were not even taught in my university. I used my spare time to develop those because I was really bored. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so that actually came to a really good advantage because it gave me this strong knowledge base and background in order to apply it to a different industry. My background in design really stemmed for an eye for just simplicity, to just simplify things, make them look pretty, make them good for the environment, because why not? Why would you want to make something bad for the environment that doesn't sound good? And also most importantly, and I don't think I've ever shared this, but growing up in Lebanon throughout my whole childhood, driving up and down to school, going to places, visiting family. Of course, we'd all come across these broken bricks, these broken bridges, roads that are just completely destroyed. And of course, poverty on the side of the road. So I remember as a kid, just looking and I'm like, can I help them? Or can I fix that? Or can I put that brick back? Or can I repaint that wall? And I just wanted to do these tiny little things to just kind of re-perfect it or kind of put a bandage on it. And so I think that's where, this is getting a bit personal, (laughs) but I think that's where I kind of developed this eye for OCD as well, where I would look at the details and I'd want to fix things and make them a little bit better, make sure everything is organic, looking good for the eye and, and those kind of skill sets. So that's where it really stemmed out. And so when I kind of dropped myself into product design, where my position lies in now, it really stemmed back from my childhood. It's almost nothing that I learned in university. It's more of putting my passion where I see the pain of others and just wanting to fix that. You know, it reminds me of Japanese pottery. I don't know if you've ever seen maybe a post online before, but I've seen it a few times where there are shards of broken pottery. It's usually Mm -hmm. glued back on with gold. And so it is symbolic to show that, you know, from broken pieces, we can even, you know, do better. I wanted to dig deeper with you, Maria, with regards to the Neos fly food trays. Now, before this interview, you explained to me the meaning behind Neos. And I would love for you to share that and to tell us more about the concept buzzword behind Neos fly. Of course. So Nia's Fly is a very basic and simple and random product. It's basically the food tray that you get served on board an aircraft. So when you're seated on board a flight, cabin crew come and serve you food on a tray. So we are producing and we've innovated that tray itself. And so what's different about the tray from 
trays these days is that the trays these days are made from a type of unrecyclable plastic. It's a lot less sustainable than regular plastics because they have to be durable enough to be flown plenty of times. So what we've done is that we've re-innovated that material to be 100% recyclable. Again, it's not rocket science. It's just tweaking a material in order to introduce it to the aviation industry in the dining sector because it wasn't before. And so just by doing that, we've actually also redesigned and engineered the product to save 30% weight. So what that means is, let's say this is the tray. And so you cut off 30% of the weight. So whatever is left, that's how much you have to drag up on a plane. And so basically the more weight on a plane, the more fuel you need in order to lift that plane up. So if you can imagine by reducing 30% of all the trays weight on all the aircraft, that actually saves a couple of kilos. And whilst for me and you, a couple of kilos may not be that much, it actually translates into half a million US dollars worth of fuel savings over a whole year, just by reducing the weight of a tray. So for us, again, we just wanted to introduce innovative design approach and material selection in order to let industries know that, hey, you just need small changes, very simple small changes for you to actually be more sustainable. It's not about recycling everything that's around you. It's also looking deeper. And there's different aspects to sustainability, like fuel savings being one of them and less plastic dumped into landfills is another. So there's so many different aspects to Nia's fly, but it's a great sustainable product. (laughs) That sounds so incredible. From little things, big things grow. I absolutely can see why Etihad would want to implement this project. What was the reaction like having Etihad backing you? I guess for someone straight out of university, this is such a Mm. confidence boost. Yeah, yeah. You get into this realization point that, okay, this is no longer a university project that I just have to submit and get an A for. This is a global airline. And so, yes, just as you mentioned, it's honestly such an honor and privilege to have partnered up with them. So what we partnered up for them is not just the trainers fly. It's actually an additional component to that. And that's where the technology comes in. So our partnership was based on integrating the tray itself, the same exact tray that we innovated, but we're integrating it with IoT tech in order to track the consumption of passengers on board an aircraft. So that's their food consumption. So if you're traveling from Dubai to Australia, let's say, we can tell an airline that, hey, Ili actually only ate 60% of his food. The whole point of it is to track food consumption enough to let an airline know that this is what your passengers are liking and not liking. And so what they would get with that is that they can predict and estimate the amount of food and which food types they would be boarding on board the future aircraft. And that would help them save weight again because if you reduce the amount of food on board the aircraft not how much is on your plate don't worry Mm. if you reduce the amount of i would say the ones that don't get served or you know the food that people don't like or don't want you're reducing fuel consumption you're reducing their cost reducing their fuel increasing customer satisfaction and this is just from a simple meal and being able to track it on the tray that you're being served how is that data received is it Mm -hmm. something that you read on the food tray or do you have to connect to your speed it's pretty simple. So the tray itself actually has a passive chip within it. So that passive chip means that it carries no working battery. It's just passive. It's just a dead chip, but it's able to bounce off data. And that 
data is being bounced back into our IoT receiver, which is basically, uh, it receives data back from the trays that are being served and then cleared afterwards. And that receiver is hidden and stowed away. Obviously, the passengers won't be able to know anything and we yeah. won't take your personal information. <laughs> it's just the food consumption. And so that's how the journey of the data works. Congratulations on this project. And <laughs> it's so cool for me to hear how technology is advancing and how we can use it to create yeah. these innovative and sustainable solutions. Exactly, yeah. Now, I know you touched a little bit about your Lebanese background, but I would love to hear more about what your connection is to Lebanon. Lebanon is and it will always be home, for sure. For me, home is not just like a house with four walls and a roof. To me, home is where my homeland is. It's, it's the physical land, the soil. If any of the listeners have been to Lebanon, you would know that the soil, the actual color and texture and feel of the soil is just completely different than anyone outside. And this is not to like disregard any other country. It's just that it's where I'm from. It's where I'm originated from. And it provided me with a childhood. It provided me with a lot of lifelong lessons and inspiration. Honestly, all of my inspiration comes from Lebanon. Even if I go to a cool I don't know, like design exhibition, like, okay, cool. That's great. But for me personally, where I receive inspiration from is my childhood and that belongs in Lebanon and that will always be it. And there's just something about Lebanon. It's just honestly, no matter what a country is going through and and any country can always go through ups and downs and our hearts are always with the people back at the land. And we're just so honored to be from such a beautiful land and any country is beautiful, but again, because I am from Lebanon, it just feels that I owe everything back to that land. Whether it's my passion, whether it's my future investments, I hope, and helping the country, helping poverty, helping political issues wherever I can. And so that is just the least I could do. And it's not even as a favor. <laughs> it's not, it definitely is not. It's just because you just feel that tug and that need. Um, to always go back to where you came from. We could live abroad and we could create amazing companies and houses and everything abroad. But at the end of the day, you'd always want to wish that that is where you base your life in, which is your home country. And so I do feel honored and blessed to be able to do what I'm doing abroad. But at the same time, I always feel guilty of not being able to do it in Lebanon at the moment. Mm. And so the least I could do is give back in any way, shape or form from time to time, even when I visit, even in my discussions with you, for example. So that's why I'm very, very grateful for today's interview. Definitely. You have made so many positive contributions that you should be so proud of for Lebanon. And I share the same vision as you. This whole podcast show is inspired by Lebanon and Lebanese people. And maybe it is biased, maybe not. I think that Lebanon has some unique, special character about it that just cannot be found anywhere else in the world. In connection with Lebanon, because I think your perspective is very important, being a Lebanese person yourself, on the 9th of November, Najat Roshdi, who is the United Nations Special Coordinator for Lebanon, urged the Lebanese government to swiftly implement sustainable solutions for families to ensure access to essential services, including fuel and water, as the UN's emergency fuel plan is coming close to an end. Now, with your background, with the concept and sustainable solutions, 
I wanted to know your view on the current state of Lebanon in relation to sustainable solutions and what you hope to see for a brighter, more sustainable Lebanon. So my perspective, first of all, is that it hurts. It definitely hurts to see so many priorities being kind of flushed out the list. I think every country, again, like I mentioned, every country has its ups and downs and in certain areas and certain areas not. But for Lebanon specific, I would dream of a season where these things can be prioritized. I'm trying to say it the most respectful way I can to all other countries too, is that because Lebanon currently is going through so much and there's a whole list of what Lebanon is going through, I can understand why certain things cannot be prioritized. But honestly, growing up, I was never into politics. My parents always had the news on and I understand, you know, they had to protect us and always know what was going on. But because of how toxic I saw the news channels to be in Lebanon, I just completely disassociated myself from that. And I've never become a political person. I don't even know half of the people's names, the ones with, you know, huge seats in the Lebanese government. And and I do kind of regret that to an extent. But at the same time, for me, what matters is not the names and the people in which positions. It's just what is being done. Mm -hmm. It's not about a name getting recognition. It's just that who is moving on what and what is being prioritized for the people. Maybe different regions need different priorities, and that's completely fine. I mean, it's a huge country. It's not tiny. It is a big country. And I also feel guilty to an extent because I do live in the UAE in a country where you have to make profit in order to survive. And it's just really hard because if I was living in Lebanon and I had all the resources that I have here over there, I would blindly put profits aside and just live in my own country and just serve, help, innovate, create things. And it's just not easy. And everything comes at a cost. And sometimes I think that's the thing with entrepreneurship is that a lot of people get caught up with the profits and the name and the success stories. And it goes way away from the actual impact that doesn't need a name recognition. And I think that's the most part that hurts is that a lot of times, even though I feel so privileged to be where I am with all the resources that I have, I still feel this huge limitation in order to serve back my country Mm. uh, in a way that would sustain me and the company where I am right now. Any final comments about what you would like to see in the future? I would definitely love to see truth evolve on Lebanon and just be implemented in every sector in every person's life, in the political side, in the environment side, everything. I definitely think there are things that have been piling up over the years in Lebanon, whether it's rumors or lies. And I would say you have a tendency to trick people Mm. um, or kind of lie to them to get something for your advantage only. And I think there's just a lot of hurt and pain for past few generations i remember when we left lebanon it was during the war in 2006 and so i haven't had the time to sit down and actually heal from it because even though i thank god i didn't have to live through the entire war i was able to leave halfway it's like what did i just leave behind or like what just happened and just like me like other people i think a lot of people need time to heal and i I don't think that time is given because as you mentioned before things just keep happening like how much more can lebanon take And every time something comes up on the news and I see Lebanon on it, I'm like, 
no. I'm like, not more. Like, please, just give us a break. Just on your point about the war and recovering and healing from it in the Lebanese community, in my view, there is this sort of unspoken trauma. There hasn't been a national recognition or a national reconciliation of the events that have happened in the past. And you see, for example, in other countries, they strongly focus on these type of things where even though it may not do much effects, just the symbolism of it, just the recognition of it or the awareness of it goes a long way. We can only hope for a better Lebanon. And I think it starts from the people. It starts from people like you, the light workers who really make such a positive contribution. And we really need more people like this that we can receive inspiration from. I will share uh, Maria's and the concepts Instagram and social pages to make it easier for people to find and connect on my pages and my links. Maria, thank you so, so much for taking the time to have this chat with me. And I only just wish you the very, very best. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Thank you for creating this podcast. Thank you for the viewers. I would just tell the viewers to share this podcast because honestly, when you first approached me to this, I was like, whoa, this even exists. I'm like, I wish I found a sooner. Just honestly, such an honor. Thank you. Thank you.